Abby Strauss, and welcome to The Experts Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. We're talking to Dr. Stefan Pasternak, who is a psychiatrist in Palm Beach County. Dr. Pasternak, love is one of the most pleasant parts of our lives, but it can also cause so much pain. Is that why you as a psychiatrist have studied love? Yes, I, I began to notice first that many patients suffered the development of a mental illness when there was a breakup of a love relationship. Then I noticed that there were some patients who had psychotic episodes, heart attacks, uh, became uh, substance abusers when there was a divorce. So we began to wonder what there was about the loss of love that could trigger mental disorders. Well, then let's, let's go back to a basic definition, and I know poets have tried to do this for thousands of years, but what is love? Well, uh, you know, as you said, uh, poets have tried to define this for years, and it's only then since Freud uh, introduced a, a modern psychoanalytic theory of love that we've been able to apply psychological concepts to love. Previously, love was Cupid's arrow, uh, a trick of the gods. But now we know that love is a complex emotional event that is an internal psychological process, and that also that the capacity to love develops slowly over the course of the life cycle. Um, in Western society, uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness really includes uh, the pursuit of a fulfilling love relationship. And it is important for one's well-being, physical, physically, and mentally, that one feel loved and secure in a loving relationship. Um, now, in terms of definitions, uh, the philosophers have some. Uh, Schopenhauer has an excellent definition in which he talks about uh, love is the bliss one achieves through merger with another, and it is associated with the imagination of incredible pain if that relationship were to end. More recently, Otto Kernberg has advanced the definition of love that takes into account more recent research in child development. Um, and he talks about the combination of sexual excitement, uh, tenderness that enables love to predominate over aggression and the normal ambivalence of relationships. And he includes a mature form of idealization along with a commitment to the other in the relationship. So commitment seems to be a very major part of this. Commitment is a major part. And we know that love should start off with a phase of infatuation and passionate romance that often makes people feel a little crazy. But once they test each other and find out that there is a basis for a lasting relationship, it moves on to a committed stage. And that commitment enables people to feel secure in life. And so there are two essential ingredients that we are trying to assess when people are, are dating. One is the capacity for sexual passion, which brings thrills, chills, and sexual fun into a relationship. That's the lust and romance? That's the lust. And without it, there's... You don't have the sense of chemistry, uh, the longing, the, the eagerness to be reunited, the missing. Um, 
and all the romantic love songs you hear. And the other dimension is uh, what we would call an attachment, affectionate bonding, which combines a, a sense of trust, reliability, and safety. So the, these two poles of passion and excitement are not always the same as the goals of affectionate attachment. So let, so, let, let's go back for a second here. Mm-hmm. So then it starts with, shall we say, some sort of chemistry, some sort of lust, some sort of pheromone where you, people say you smell the other person? Well, you know, it's, it, 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 here is an interesting thing. There's a, it's impossible to separate the mind and the brain. And, and that is true in the experience of falling in love. We know that people are more likely to be attracted to people who remind them of those who loved them in their youth, childhood, and early stages of life. And modern attachment research, which is a, a laboratory-based discipline, has been able to follow some people to age 30, and we find that the patterns of attachment that get established in the first year of life persist and are the basic scaffolding upon which adult love will be based. Now, the, the refinding of old love objects, uh, you know, the old song, I want a gal just like the gal that married dear old dad, um, is not just, uh, you know, uh, evidence of an unresolved conflict uh, from the Oedipal stage. It's evidence of an internalization of a happy experience. So a happy love between mother and son in childhood leads that child to feel women are trustworthy, and we know that people will even seek out people who smell like or whose tonal qualities remind them at some early recognition of their mother's voice. Uh, There have been studies on that. Now, what about the chemistry? Well, yeah, um, just as we see with dreams, there is a physiology to dreaming, but it doesn't explain the mental content of dreams. Similarly, there's a neurochemical correlate of passionate arousal, but they can't quite explain the alchemy of love. But it is important to note that uh, increases in human growth factor and vasopressin and some catecholamines are found in people who are falling in love. So there is a chemistry here. Well, which comes first? I don't know. <laughs> you know, as we know, <clears throat> psychoendocrine events are common. By a psychoendocrine event, I mean there is a mental experience that triggers a hormonal cascade. In the case of stress, you know, you see the hurricane on television coming close, and that causes a cascade of adrenaline, and you rush around doing things in response to the biological and psychological arousal state. Well, when the hurricane of romantic love comes, yes, there is a chemistry. And we know, for example, that uh, the attachment phase, when people have decided to make an attachment, is associated with increases in oxytocin. On the other hand, the lust and craving phase, 
is more associated with increases in androgens and estrogens. So there's no way to separate these phenomena. They go hand in hand. And, and, it, and it's a cascade. It progresses up. It spirals until there's a deal breaker. That is, someone says, wait a minute, I've, what, if, what, she's not so wonderful, or gee, he kept me waiting, or I thought I was number one and instead he's working late tonight. Then you begin to get some psychological events that can disrupt the happy rhythm that the two were beginning to develop. Well, and you see, <clears throat> we see that from the earliest attachment studies. Um, as you know, um, uh, Mary Ainsworth and Mary Main are two psychologists who did a lot of research on the development of early bonds and how they get represented in the adult mind later on. And they found that people with secure attachments, which is about 60% of the people, have an easier time falling in love but they, and remaining in love. But <clears throat> secure attachment children have better memories, <clears throat> learn better in school, and so security makes for a better, better neural network. Do they have better marriages? <clears throat> well, we haven't got enough research over a longer period of time to say that, uh, but that work will eventually be done and we'll be able to know. Uh, similarly, those who have <clears throat> either anxious attachments or, or avoidant attachments there's been inconsistency or hurt or disappointment, these are people who go on to develop panic attacks or major depressive episodes, and those disorders correlate with more difficulty in maintaining a stable relationship. And so people are afraid to fall in love, so they begin to do things to push their partner away, or they're afraid of losing love, so they cling so much that they drive their partner away. And so these two patterns are associated with insecurity. And uh, we will soon know over the next 10 or 15 years uh, how some of these couples that have entered research projects 20 years ago are coming out. Very interesting. We find ourselves so often using the word love in so many ways. It's you know, such things as I love chocolate ice cream or I love you as a friend. It makes the definition very confusing. Well, you see, it also has to do with the fact that there are many, many types of love. It comes in many forms. We, we've mentioned uh, romantic love and then affectionate bonding, uh, which we hope will result in periodic renewal of passion to maintain the love bond, but there's over 15 other types of love. There's patriotic love, religious love, love of the family, platonic love, sadomasochistic love, Pygmalion love, not to mention various forms of perversion which might involve chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> so, as a psychiatrist, when a patient comes to you and says, I am having difficulty maintaining a relationship, I'm having difficulty finding the right man or right woman to fall in love with, do you think perhaps that some of it is a fantasy, that people might think that they're looking for something that is that, that, that lust which doesn't go away? Well, you're, you're right to say what is it that people are looking for. And... Um, People have many unrealistic expectations. 
if people have had disappointment in their life, uh, divorce of parents, trauma of one kind or another, they had to flee their country because of civil war or revolution uh, and so forth, or there was an er early loss of a parent due to a tragedy, <clears throat> people are often left with wounds that they hope love will heal. Now, a new love can heal a lot of old wounds, but it usually can't heal all of them, nor can any one love partner meet every emotional need someone has. So one of the things I try to find out from a patient is just what is it that they're looking for, what are their expectations, and, and, and then we begin to evaluate their love, love psychology. Now, it's, well, let me draw an analogy. Sure. In the early days of study of sexual disorders in the 60s and 70s with Masters and Johnsons and all that work was coming out, we began to learn that there were various types of sexual disorders that previously we lumped into other categories. I think we're now beginning the phase of understanding love psychology well enough so that we can consider the possibility that there are love disorders and that there will be approaches to understanding what they are and what are the best methods for dealing with them. Interesting, and I've noted that when I've spoken to people about love and the importance of it and the importance of a level of intimacy in their lives, they tend to sit back, they tend to listen, and then they want to learn. This is a very major part of our lives, and I think we don't pay enough attention to it and, and what you're talking about is just fascinating. Well, as you know, in recent studies uh, uh, and uh, by uh, the American, uh, I think the American Heart Association and other cardiac groups, they have correlated uh, the uh, onset of heart disease with disturbances in love relationships, and they correlate longer survival after heart attacks with supporting loving family life. In fact, uh, I'm trying to remember the San Francisco uh, cardiologist, Dean, uh, what's his name? Um, I can't think of the fellow out there who showed that you could reverse uh, coronary artery blockades with uh, meditation, diet, and exercise. I just can't think of his name. Anyway, he has a number of, of studies that he's pulled together on uh, the role of love in dealing with heart disease. And if you have someone who loves you and roots for you and helps you, you're going to come through your bypass better and your recovery phase better, and you're less likely to have another heart attack. This Isn't is, that amazing? That is amazing, and this is an entirely amazing topic, but it's really so normal and so core to our existence. And I wish we had more time, and perhaps in the future we can discuss more about this wonderful aspect of our lives. We're talking to Dr. Stefan Pasternak, who is a psychiatrist in Palm Beach County, who has done a great deal of research and, and clinical practice in the areas of love. And we thank you very much, sir, and wish you a very good evening. Thank you for calling. Good talking Take to you. Take care. Bye-bye.